All right, so in chapter nine, we studied the amazing story, if you remember from two weeks ago, of how the Lord opened the eyes of a man who had been born blind. Okay, so this guy had actually been born with congenital blindness, and Jesus gave him the gift of eyesight. And so it was a miracle of monumental proportions, and it stands as yet another proof that Jesus was and is the promised Messiah. Now sadly, when the healed guy went to the religious leaders, instead of being happy for this man that was healed, the religious leaders, do you remember this from two weeks ago? They verbally abused this guy. And not only that, they cast him out of their sight. And so the Pharisees, man, they knew the Bible. They had the Old Testament back then. They knew the Bible. They knew Isaiah the prophet, 8th century B.C. And they knew that that God said through Isaiah the prophet that one of the ways that Israel could know the coming of the Lord was that he would give sight to the blind. But here's what happened. Instead of falling on their knees and calling Jesus Lord, Do you know what the religious leaders said about Jesus? They called him a sinner. And not only that, man, they had the man that Jesus healed excommunicated. Talk about treating people under your care with harshness and cruelty. And so that's the bad news. The good news is that even though this man was cast out from the religious leaders, listen to this, he was sought out by the Lord. How many of you are glad the Lord sought you out? When you were going your own way and doing your own thing, he came to find you. And so Jesus sought out this man. He found him and he revealed his true identity to this guy as the Messiah. And the man, what did he do? He placed his faith in Jesus Christ and then he worshiped him. Jesus didn't say, stop worshiping me. I'm not God. No, Jesus accepted the worship. Why? Because Jesus is the Son of God. Ladies and gentlemen, please hear this. We believe in one God. Can you guys say one God? God. Eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so you say, Pastor, you say that a lot. I say that a lot because it's true. (laughs) Now, what a stark contrast. Between the, between the way that the Lord treated this man in chapter 9 who was born blind that Jesus healed. What a stark difference between the way the Lord treated this guy and the way the religious leaders treated this guy. I mean, talk about night and day. And, and why? Because here, here's the reason that the Lord treated him so well and the religious leaders treated him so poorly. It's because the Lord is the true and good shepherd and the religious leaders of his day were false shepherds, false teachers. And this reminds us of Ezekiel chapter 34. So Ezekiel, if you haven't heard, is found in the Old Testament and it was written in the sixth century BC. And in that passage, Ezekiel used metaphorical language to describe the political and religious leaders of his day. But but here's what you need to know. 
his words also could be applied and also describe the political and religious leaders of Jesus' day as well. So I want you right now to listen to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. Can we thank Darius for the reading of God's word today? He said, I will seek for my sheep. And so now that you have fresh in your minds the way the religious leaders harshly and cruelly treated the man in chapter 9 who Jesus healed, and now that you have the word of the Lord from Ezekiel ringing in your ears, now you're ready and I'm ready to jump into John chapter 10. And so right now, if you're looking at John chapter 10, verse 1, I want you to say amen. So I know, I, please, please, please follow along. And so Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. Notice the shepherd is in front leading the sheep. He's not behind driving them cruelly with dogs nipping at the hooves of the sheep. He goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers and this figure of speech this metaphor Jesus used with them but they did not understand what he was saying to them 
Now, explaining these verses is not the easiest task for me because we live in modern-day America, and quite frankly, sheep and shepherds are not very familiar to us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't know any shepherds, and I may have touched a sheep once or twice in my life at a petting zoo, or was that a goat? You know, I'm just trying to remember, right? It's not very familiar to us, but in Jesus' day, when he spoke of shepherds and sheep, Everybody knew what he was talking about. Why? Because one of the primary vocations in Israel was shepherding. And so you may ask, if they were so familiar in the first century AD with shepherding, then why in the world in verse six did they not understand what Jesus was teaching? Well, here's why. It wasn't the metaphor they didn't understand. It was the interpretation of the metaphor that they did not understand. And so, with the help of the Holy Spirit and some great Bible scholars whose commentaries I read this week, we're going to discover what the correct interpretation of the metaphor is. In a little while, before we get to that, I want to talk to you a little bit about shepherding. And so, in the ancient Near East, at the end of a long day of grazing, shepherds would bring in their flocks from the field. And you need to know they did this before dark. Why? Because at nighttime is when the predators would come out. At nighttime, for example, the wolves would come out and they would hunt for their prey. And so the the shepherds brought in their flocks uh, from the fields and they led them, very important you get this right here, they led them to a communal sheepfold. A communal sheepfold that was often shared by multiple families, probably larger than the one you see here, but we chose this picture because it accurately describes what it looked like. And so the sheepfold was basically a stone enclosure without a roof, with only one opening. And so once the flocks were led into the sheepfold, then the gatekeeper, a guy who was hired, the gatekeeper would come and he would stand guard at the one entrance at night while the shepherds would go home to their families, spend time with their families, and get some sleep. All right, so with that in your mind, let's go back to verse one. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Okay, and so sadly, if the gatekeeper fell asleep on the job, then thieves and robbers would sometimes come at night in order to, listen to this, steal and kill and destroy the sheep. Now, of course, these thieves would not go in through the door where the gatekeeper's snoring. Right? They wouldn't do that. What would they do? At night, they'd go around back and they would jump in another way. And so I want you to picture this in your mind, okay? Let's, let's try to make these stories come alive. And so you got two, let's say you got two thieves and it's nighttime, in the middle of the night and the gatekeeper's snoring at the front door and they go to the back of the sheepfold and one of them climbs over that stone wall and they get down and what does the guy do? He takes out his knife. He begins to slit the throats of 
some of these sheep. And then he begins to toss them over the wall to his partner. And then he climbs back over the wall and he and his partner take their prey underneath their arms and they steal off into the night. That's the negative figure of speech that Jesus uses to open up his discourse about the good shepherd. Now let's look at the positive figure of speech in verse two. He says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep, listen to this, by name. And he leads them out. And so after a good night of sleep, all the shepherds in the village, they would return to the communal sheepfold. Are you picturing this in your mind, right? And one by one, the gatekeeper knew the faces and identified these shepherds. And one by one, the shepherds would give a unique call for their particular flock. And what's amazing to me is that the sheep would only come out when they heard the voice of their shepherd. And I thought, I gotta see this, right? So I actually went to YouTube this week and I typed it in and I've, I got a modern day version of what Jesus was talking about. And so a farmer uh, got a class to come out to his ranch and so there were students there and there was a fence and then there was a big field and there's a ton of sheep out there in the field and the farmer told individual students in the class to walk up to the fence and to call for the sheep to come in. And so one by one, the students would go and they would do crazy calls and, 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 and guess what? Every time they called, the sheep would just continue to eat the grass. They wouldn't even look up. And then all of a sudden, after two or three of them were done, the farmer walks up to the fence and the farmer shouts out a unique call. And then all of a sudden, their heads came up, the heads of the sheep, and they began to run toward the farmer. Absolutely amazing. And so this is what Jesus is talking about. And then he says in verse four, when he, the shepherd, has brought out all of his own he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Okay, and so back to the communal uh, sheepfold in the village. If a stranger walked up to the gate and tried to call out a flock that did not belong to him. Guess what? The sheep would not budge. Why? Stranger danger, right? They would flee from that guy. And so this is what Jesus is trying to get at in this metaphor. This is the picture that he's painting that the sheep will only follow their shepherd because they knew his voice. All right, so that's the metaphor. What's the interpretation of the metaphor? Here it is. The sheepfold, ladies and gentlemen, is Israel. The thieves and robbers are the religious leaders of Jesus' day. The good shepherd is Jesus Christ. And the sheep, at least in verses one through five, are Jewish converts. 
All right, so let's go, go through it one by one so you guys have a really clear understanding of the interpretation of this metaphor. So the sheepfold was Israel, the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The ones that God gave his perfect law to through Moses on Mount Sinai. That's the sheepfold. The thieves and robbers were the religious leaders of Jesus' day. So who were they? The scribes and the Pharisees. There was more of the Sanhedrin, etc. but uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, this is what they did. They came on the scene, and ladies and gentlemen, they hijacked the faith of their fathers. And they introduced a legalistic religious system that elevated man-made rules to the same level of authority as God's written word. And so what did they do? They took their man-made rules, hundreds and hundreds of them, and they put them like a yoke on the necks of the Jews. And underneath this yoke of legalism, the Jews languished when Jesus came on the scene. The religious leaders also abused their power. They treated the people under their care with harsh harshness and cruelty characterized because listen you got to interpret the bible in the context of, of the flow right so you got to interpret chapter 10 with chapter 9 and so harshness cruelty that's the way the pharisees treated the man that jesus healed in chapter 9 okay so that's the sheepfold that's the thieves and robbers who's the good shepherd jesus christ the promised Messiah. And what did he do? He came for the whole world. But ladies and gentlemen, hear me. Initially, Jesus came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he stood outside the sheepfold, right? And he called out his unique call to his sheep. And he saved them and he fed them and he strengthened them. And in some cases, he physically healed them and they followed him. Who's the sheep? The sheep are Jewish converts in verses one through five. And that's Jews who accepted Jesus, listen to this, as their Messiah, as their Savior, as their Lord. Jesus led them out of the false legalistic religious system of the Pharisees and Jesus eventually led them, listen to this, to his church which was born on the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter two. And not only that, um, not only did he lead uh, his sheep out from the legalism, the false legalistic religious system of the Pharisees, listen to this, he also led them out of the old covenant. Now the old covenant's good and right. The old covenant was awesome, right, for the Jews in that dispensation of law. But here's what you need to know. Jesus came to do a new thing. And so he led them out of the old covenant into something called the new covenant. Read Hebrews sometime on your own time. And so the Lord's sheep recognized his voice and they came running out of the sheepfold to him. And what did they do? In Acts 2.42, it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. And by the time you get through the first section of Acts, praise the Lord, there's multiplied 
thousands of Jewish converts that are part of the church of Jerusalem. And what are they doing? They're loving and they're following the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. That's the interpretation of the metaphor. Now you say, well, what about the Gentiles? I'll get there in just a moment. But first, let's look at verse seven. And so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. So now Jesus uses another metaphor. I'm the door or I'm the gate of the sheep. We got a really cool picture for you on this one. I love this picture. So if there was no gatekeeper available, then once the sheep were secure in the sheepfold, the shepherd himself would essentially become the door. The shepherd himself would essentially become the gate as he laid down at night by the door. Ladies and gentlemen, that way, if any wolves tried to get in and attack the sheep, the wolves would have to go through the good shepherd. And how many of you guys know, pardon the bad English, there ain't no way that's gonna happen. As long as the good shepherd is at the door, as long as he is the door, what did he do? He gave his sheep inside security and salvation, and that's exactly what Jesus does for his sheep. Look at verse eight. Verse eight, all who came before me are, present tense, thieves and robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. All right, so once again, back to the metaphor, right? Who are the thieves and the robbers? It's the religious leaders of Jesus' day. By the way, the political leaders and the religious leaders Yes, Rome dominated Israel, but in, within Israel in Jesus' time, you had the Sanhedrin made up of Sadducees and Pharisees, and they held political uh, influence over the people, not just religious, but also political. But here's the good news. The elect sheep did not listen to those guys. They listened to the Lord Jesus. And we just saw an example of this in chapter nine with the guy that Jesus healed who was born um, blind. And so how did the man that Jesus healed respond to the scribes and the Pharisees? Here's how. He did not listen to them at all. In fact, by way of review, I wanna take you back to uh, chapter nine, and, and I, wanna, I wanna read verses 29 through 34, because this guy, he doesn't listen to the scribes and Pharisees, he actually lectures them. And so the scribes and Pharisees in verse 29, they said, well, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we do not know where he comes from. And does the man answer, well, yes, sir, you're right. And, and you know, whatever you say, I believe, that's not what he said at all. He stands up, looks at these religious leaders right in the eye, and he says in verse 30, well, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where Jesus comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. 
Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And they answered him, you were born in utter sin and would you teach us? And they cast him out. My point here is to show you that the guy did not listen to the religious leaders of the day. Who did he listen to? Like that sheep in the communal um, uh, sheepfold. He listened to the voice of his shepherd. How do you know? Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him. How many of you guys know we don't go searching initially for God, he comes after us. And so he, Jesus went and he found him and he said, do you believe in the son of man? That's synonymous with Messiah. He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have seen him. This is so cool because the guy's been blind his whole life and Jesus opened up his eyes and he's looking into the face of the Messiah right now. You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I trust in you. And he worshiped him. You guys get what's happening here? What's happening here is that this man heard the voice of the good shepherd, and he put his faith in him and then he worshiped him and no doubt later he followed him and what did Jesus do Jesus led him out of the legalistic religious system of the Pharisees and led this man into a relationship with him I want you to say the word relationship go ahead because that's where it's at ladies and gentlemen said another way this guy got saved you say, where do you get that from? The very next verse. Look at verse nine. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will. Shout out the next two words. Be saved. Be saved. And, and Listen, that was weak. <laughs> Can you guys shout out those two words like you mean it? Is everybody with me this morning? All right, so I'm gonna read the verse again. And when I say shout it out, I want you to shout it out. Are you ready? Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will, what? Be saved. Be saved. Those are great words, by the way. And by the way, it's not just for the, it's not just for the Baptists to use those words. You hear them say it all the time, but rightfully so. Praise the Lord, they use it. Why? Where'd they get it from? They got it from Paul. Where did Paul get it from? He got it from Jesus. There's two types of people in the world, saved or lost. Which category are you in? And when you look, listen, listen, when you look at people that know you and love you, that are in your circle of influence, you need to start looking at them as either saved or lost. You say, where do you get all this from? I'm just going verse by verse. Because what I'm doing is I'm trying to help you develop a biblical worldview. Because ladies and gentlemen, a million years from now, you're gonna have wished if you don't have a biblical worldview, that you adopted a biblical worldview in your life. And so, what happened here? What happened is that this guy got saved and Jesus said, I'm the door. Now, please follow this here. 
I want you to notice in verse nine, Jesus didn't say, I am one of the doors because there are so many other doors. In fact, all religious doors ultimately open up into heaven. Is that what Jesus said? No. No, no, no. Jesus emphatically said, I am the door. I love what D.A. Carson said about this. He said, this is the proverbial way of listening, of, of insisting that there is only one means of receiving eternal life. Only one source of knowledge of God, only one fount of spiritual nourishment, only one basis for spiritual security. Jesus alone. Where did he get that from? He got that from verse nine, where Jesus said, I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Saved from what? Saved from false shepherds and false teachers and being destroyed by them in false religious systems and ultimately saved from sin and death and hell. Now look at verse 10. Jesus said, famous verse, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it, what's the word there? abundantly and so it's very obvious as you're reading through the gospels that the religious leaders of Jesus day were ripping off the people who were under their care but how many of you guys know listen that Satan is behind every false religionist and Satan is behind every false religious system and so ultimately Satan is the thief in verse 10, who comes to steal, and he comes to kill, and he comes to destroy, and often he'll use false religion in order to accomplish his purposes. And so someone says, well, pastor, how in the world do you know? How do you know what's true? And how do you know what's false? Well, I could talk and talk and talk for weeks about that, but let me, let me um, because of sake of time, let me just um, share with you that the primary way to distinguish between what is true and what is false is to understand the two essential truths of true Christianity. And so if you haven't been kind of listening yet, I really want you to hone in right now. Everybody look at me. It's time to listen, all right? If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. All right, so the two essentials have to do with Christology and soteriology. So what is Christology? It's the doctrine the teaching of Christ. What is soteriology? It's the doctrine or teaching of salvation. There's more essentials, right? But I'm, I'm talking about the most important two essentials of the Christian faith, right there. And so Christ, who was he? Who is he? He is the second person of the Trinity. He's the eternal word made flesh. That was the prologue of the gospel that we started so many months ago in John. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jump down to verse 14, and the word became flesh. That's why we say um, Jesus 
was and is fully God, and since his incarnation, fully man. Okay, and, and you, there's not room on the screen, but, but here's more essentials. He was born of a virgin. That's an essential of the faith. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He kept the law of Moses perfectly. That's an essential of the faith. Why? Because he had to be a lamb without blemish and without spot to be a sacrifice that's acceptable to God. And what else? His substitutionary death. What do you mean substitutionary? It means that you're, you and I are the ones who are supposed to die because the wages of sin is death. But Christ came and he willingly went to the cross. And as our substitute, he paid for our sins. He absorbed the wrath of God against sin, the wrath of a holy God against sin. He paid for our sins while he was on the cross, paid in full. And then not only that, not just the virgin birth, not just the sinless life, not just the substitutionary death, but listen to this, the bodily resurrection. Some teachers out there, what what do they say? They say that Jesus' body is still in the grave somewhere in Israel, but spiritually, of course, he rose spiritually. That's false teaching. The same body that Jesus lived in, the same body that he was crucified in, the same body that was buried is the same body that came alive and marched out of the tomb on the third day. These are essentials of the faith. These are stuff we do not compromise on ever. And not just Christology, but soteriology. That's the teaching of salvation. And in a nutshell, here it is. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Now, how many years have you guys been hearing me say that? 18, I think, or more? And so I wanna hear you guys say it for a change instead of me always saying it. And so on the count of three, in that parenthesis, starting with the word salvation at the bottom of your screen, I want you to say that phrase. One, two, three, go. Period. Apart from meritorious works. You say, where do you get that from? The Bible. <laughs> Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith and it's not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Verse 10, for we Christians are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're not saved by good works, we're saved for good works. It's the fruit of a changed heart. Are you guys following me here? So you don't try to earn your way to heaven. It doesn't work, that's a false gospel. Let me put it this way. If you got five people on Jensen Beach this afternoon, and they say, we're gonna swim to Spain. And they all jump into the Atlantic Ocean. They start going. Well, guess what? Some are stronger swimmers than others. That means that some are gonna make it farther than others. But at the end of the day, all five of them are going to drown. They are not gonna make it to Spain. You know how I'm getting to Spain? The lifeboat of Jesus Christ. That's how I'm getting to Spain. Because he's the only way. His work on the cross is what we trust in. His death 
and his resurrection. And any religious leader who teaches that Jesus is not fully God and fully man is a false teacher. And they're propagating a false Jesus who cannot save anybody. And any teacher who says that a person can be saved, justified by their works, is preaching a false gospel. And listen, everything I'm saying is based in the word of God. It comes from the word of God. Listen to what the Holy Spirit said through Paul to the church of Galatia. Paul says that even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. This is in the Bible. What does that mean? Damned to hell. If you come preaching any other gospel than the, the, the gospel that, that Paul and the apostles and Jesus taught, Jesus, um, Paul says, let that person be damned to hell. And in case we didn't get it the first time, in verse nine, he repeats himself. Now, it's not very often in the Bible the Holy Spirit repeats himself. It's because it's a message he wants us to get. And so he says in verse nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so, ladies and gentlemen, here, listen, Jesus... What does he do? Because he's not willing that any should perish. He stands at the, 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 the door of the sheepfold and he cries out his unique call. He wants people to come out of false religious systems and for something way better. What's that? Eternal life to start with. And not just that, abundant life. Did you guys see that in verse 10? Do you see God's heart towards you? Do you see what God wants to see happen in your life while you're living on this earth? Look at verse 10 again. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came, Jesus said, that they may have life and have it, what's the word? Abundantly, abundant life. All right, so what's abundant life? Is it all about the material realm? Is it all about health and wealth and prosperity? No, it's way more about the spiritual realm than the material realm. What is abundant life? It's the life that the Lord's sheep enjoy in this world. Why? Because the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lay down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me beside the still waters. I'm gonna start over because I just got messed up in my head. All right, so Psalm 23. And if some of you guys know it, you can say it with me. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me, what is it? All the days of my life here in this world, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's abundant life. 
That's abundant life. The question is, are you experiencing that abundant life? It's all about a relationship with Jesus. Look at verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. By the way, I am the door. That's the third I am of the seven great I am statements. And now I am the good shepherd. That's the fourth I am of the seven great I am statements in John. I am the good shepherd. Here it is. Thank, thank you, Jesus. Because none of us have any hope outside of this. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I'm so grateful for that. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, we would be separated from God forever unless that happened. Verse 12, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand. He's a hireling and cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know, that speaks of relationship. I know my own and my own know me. Just as a father knows me and I know the father, and he repeats it here. And he says it again over and over later. He says, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Somebody might, may ask, pastor, wait, time out a minute. There's so many religions in the world, hundreds and hundreds of religions in the world, and they're led by mostly well-meaning people. So how can you have the audacity to stand up there on that platform and say there's only one way to heaven? That's so narrow-minded. Well, listen, that's actually a very easy question to answer. And here's the first part of the answer. Why is Jesus the only way? Because he is the only one who laid down his life for the sheep. And so we saw that in verse 11. We saw that in verse 15. And so the question is, why? 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 If we can be saved by being good people, then why in the world did the word come from eternity and become flesh and dwell among us, live a perfect life, and go to a cross and lay down his life for the sheep? If we can get saved by our good works, why did he do that? Here's why. Because, listen to the word of God, there's none righteous, no, not one. You can't make it to Spain on your own. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You say, what are you doing, pastor? I'm sharing the gospel with you right now. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For the wages of sin is death. But, praise God, God showed his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Substitutionary death. Christ loves you. And that's why he died for you. He doesn't want you to be separated from him forever. He wants you to be with him forever. The sheep with the good shepherd. And so if you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No if and buts about it. And so the wages of sin is death 
But how many of you are thankful for the rest of the verse? The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Yeah, we should thank God for that. We should be so thankful for that. I'm glad that's the end because I'd fall off the the stage here. But, But praise the Lord, right? That's why he had to give his life for the sheep. Now, how many of you guys are Gentiles and you know the Lord Jesus as your Savior? Yeah. All right. Did you know you're in the Bible? You're in the Bible. Look at the next verse, verse 16. Here we go. And I have not just Jewish converts. I have, shout out the next two words, other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. Woohoo! Thank the Lord. And they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. All right, so who are the other sheep? Well, we already defined all the first four on the top. It's the bottom of the screen. The other sheep are Gentile converts. Gentiles. Pagans. Why? Because God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him won't perish, but have everlasting life. For as many as received him, Christ, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And so whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. If you've turned to Christ in genuine repentance and faith, receiving him as the Savior and Lord of your life, you will never perish, ever. You don't have to worry about it. You belong to the good shepherd. You say, I'm not a Jew. Listen, the Jews have to come to Jesus too, just like the Gentiles. Look at what Paul wrote to the Christians in Corinth. He said, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks. Greeks synonymous with Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles, slaves are free. All were made to drink of one spirit. What does that mean? That means that whenever it was, that day, that awesome, beautiful, wonderful day when you were born again, then what happened is that the Holy Spirit of God took you. This is not talking about water baptism. There's plenty of verses about water baptism in the New Testament. This isn't one of them. The Holy Spirit took you and he spiritually baptized. Baptizo, that means immerse. He spiritually immersed you into the Big C Church, the universal body of Christ, whether you're a Jew or, or, or a Gentile, it's because of your faith in Jesus Christ. And so we praise God for his love for the whole world. And now look at verse 17. He says, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay, he said it again, I lay down my life. But now here's something new, that I may take it up again. What's that talking about? The resurrection. Look at verse 18. No one takes it from me. Everybody look at me. Nobody, the the, the Roman soldiers did not force his arms down while he's screaming. No, he's like, here you go. He says, no one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. And so someone may ask, Pastor, wait, time out. In a world filled with religions, there's hundreds of them, mostly led by well-meaning people. How in the world can you stand up there and say there's only one way to heaven? It's so narrow-minded. 
Well, I have an easy answer to your question. Here it is. Why is Jesus the only way? Well, number one, he's the only one who laid down his life for us. And number two, he's the only one who predicted and then accomplished his resurrection. Nobody in the history of mankind ever did that. But Christ did. He says, I have authority to lay it down. That's point number one. I have authority to take it up again. That's point number two. He said it before it even happened. And then he accomplished it. And that's why Jesus can say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father but through me. And somebody said, well, is that a narrow statement? Yeah, (laughs) it's very narrow. But here's my contention. So what's the big deal? What's the big deal, right? We accept narrow-mindedness in so many other areas of life. Think about this. We accept narrow-mindedness in the area of math, right? So if your little first grader takes a quiz and the problem is two plus two and they write five and the teacher takes that quiz and the teacher marks it correct, and says, A plus, smiley face, good job. And you look at that quiz later at home, and so you have a conference call with the teacher, and you want the teacher to explain why she marked a problem that was obviously answered wrong, correct? What would you think if she said, well, we don't want to be too narrow-minded at our school, and we believe all answers to all questions are right as long as the children mean well. What would you do if that happened? I hope you'd look for another school. By the way, we got a great one right across the street. It's awesome. We accept narrow-mindedness in the area of medicine. What if you were in the hospital, laying there in the hospital bed, and the nurse comes in, and she's got 10 pills in her hand? And you're like, what are all those? And she says, well, the doctor only prescribed you to have one, but I think that's so narrow-minded. And so here you go. What would you do? You'd grab your phone or the sheet and text your spouse, help, Right? We expect narrow-mindedness in math, in medicine, in air traffic control. What if a pilot's coming into the airport, right? Um, This is flight 35 requesting a runway for landing. And the tower says, roger, flight 35. Um, But at this airport, we don't want to be narrow-minded. And so have your pick. We're letting all the plans land whenever and wherever they want. Good luck, over. So again, my contention is, what's the big deal? We insist on narrow-mindedness in so many areas of life, and so why not insist on the fact that we're gonna agree with what Jesus says, that he's the only way to heaven. It's true, and ladies and gentlemen, listen to me. We have good reason to believe it. If anybody comes on the scene and they do miracle after miracle after miracle with eyewitnesses, hundreds of eyewitnesses seeing it, and then those miracles are written down within about 30 years, I'm gonna follow that guy. If anybody comes on the scene and they fit perfectly all the Old Testament prophecies about what the Messiah is gonna look like, 
I'm gonna follow that guy. If anybody comes on the scene and they predict and then they accomplish their resurrection, I'm gonna follow that guy. When he says, I'm the way, the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father but by me, I'm gonna believe that with all my heart. With all my heart. And so he laid down his life for you and he took it back up again. Why? For you. For you. Because he wants you to be one of his sheep. Last two verses. Verse 19. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them got mad. You see what they said here? He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Praise God, he's getting through to some people. And so here's what you need to know. There's a division. And you know what? That's good. You know why? If you're listening to me, say amen here. Please never forget this principle right here. Truth is a higher priority than unity. Truth is a higher priority than unity. How can two walk together unless they're agreed? And so please don't ever put unity above truth. You can't do that, that's called compromising. But here's what you gotta remember, speak the truth in love. And then have unity with those who embrace the same truth. I'm not saying you have to be unfriendly. I'm not saying you have to avoid people or whatever. We love people. We want to be around people. We want to encourage people. But we want them to hear and know the truth. And so in closing, I want to say this. Praise God that someday the good shepherd is going to return. Is anybody excited about that, by the way? Yeah, he's coming back. If Jesus fulfilled all the prophecies regarding his first coming, you better believe he's gonna fulfill all the prophecies regarding his second coming. And when he comes back, here's what he's gonna do. He's gonna establish his kingdom on this earth. And then, on that day, he's gonna fully fulfill Ezekiel chapter 34. Listen to the word of God. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. 
I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. 